After Korach's rebellion is quelled, Hashem wants to consolidate the importance of the Kohanim, tells the nation that they have to give certain gifts to the Kohanim. The question is, why does the Torah then also include gifts to the Leviim? The rebellion was not against the Leviim. Once we explore that and the connection to the time of year that it always coincides with Gimel Tammuz and the nature of what happened on Gimel Tammuz, we'll come to appreciate that there are three different levels of how we connect our material possessions and ourselves to Hashem. So we're going to smichus HaParshis, the fact that the, the parishes are put together on Shaykhus for Nabanihin and Osatil Khosmishmeras to my Sadikul Kochab and Aisovagoma. The Pasik that says that Hashem guarantees the Kohanim that they will have the Trumois, the various twenty-four gifts that are given to the Kohanim, the Inyam for Matnois Kihuna. The fact that that is placed right next to Tsumachloikas Koyach. The rebellion of Kayach, Vashtait Fadim in the parasha, which is of course the bulk of what is discussed prior to that in the parasha. Why the two of them side by side, Zakta Sifri and Rashi Brenta Sarab, the Sifri teaches and Rashi quotes it, because Kayach contested the Kahuna. Debisha says, let's consolidate the Kahuna. As the Kahuna von Aaron is a Kosev, a Kosev, a that Debisha is going to completely consolidate, sign and seal and ratify the value of the Kohanim. And the way we do that is by saying that the community has to give certain gifts to the Kohanim. question is, That explains why the Torah would detail the 24 gifts to the Kohanim straight after Korach's rebellion against the Kohanim. But the question is, What would the connection then be between Meiser, which is the 10% we give to Leviim, as the Pasuk says, that they're given the Meiser in lieu of the fact that they also serve in the Mishkan and sub- subsequently in the Beis HaMikdash. How come that is stated straight after? And in fact, in the same statement, of giving the the gifts to the Kohanim to quote the Targumunklus Matn de Yahavaslan inun chulkoch that your portion is these gifts that you are given Matnus Kihuna. So how does it link? So Machlokas Korach, what has that to do with Machlokas of Korach? Korach fought against Kihuna. It makes sense that David says, let's give the Kohanim special gifts to consolidate the position. Korach was a Levi. He wasn't fighting against the Levim. Why do we discuss Meiser in the same conversation? Nochmer, let's take that question a step further. Not only does Meiser and the position of the Levim not really relate to Kerach's rebellion, it's actually the opposite of Kerach's rebellion. Because Machloikas Kerach is given nor ala kihuna. Only, the only issue Kerach had was against the kihuna. Or bikashtem gam kihuna. As Moshe Rabbeinu says to Kerach, you also want the kihuna? He wasn't arguing against the position of the Levim. Why not? Because he was a Levi, and not only any ordinary Levi, he was a senior member of the Levi community. So he didn't have an issue with, with being a Levi. Why consolidate the position of the Levi after his Machlekes? Okay, you might want to answer, well, it's because the harsh response to Kerach may have weakened the position of the Levi, and the Torah has to reconstitute it. 
That's exactly why we're talking about Levim at this point. Because Kerach was a Levi. And he was the one, together with other members of his Shevet, driving this argument against Moshe and Aaron. So what prompted them to, to contest the Kuhuna? The fact that they were Levim. Listen to what Moshe said to them. You can hear in it that the fact that they were Levim was what precipitated their, their argument. He says to them, listen, you are the children of Levi. Is it not good enough that they wish to separated you from the rest of the nation to serve? You have a position. And they wish to brought you and all of your comrades close. Now you want more than that to also be Kohanim? So because they came at this, 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 this fight from a position of being Levim, when they lost, when they were proven wrong, you might think that the result is some diminution of the value of and role of the Levi. Which would then explain that while Eibishter introduces the gifts for the Kohanim, which consolidate the Kohanim's position, at the same time, he reconsolidated the Levium's position by saying there's also gifts for them, which would help us relax and accept that the Levium retain their special position in the community. Maybe that's why the Meiser is included over here. Problem is, it's actually a difficult explanation to offer. If it had stood independently, if the Torah told us the gifts to the Kohanim, that shows us the Kohanim's position, and then independently told us the Maiser to the Levi, and that would consolidate, uh, consolidate the Levi's position, great. But that's not how it works. It's one Hemshech. It's one conversation. Not only that, on that Tzunach mitam Vav HaMoisif, Velivnei Levi. It's like a continuation of the sentence. It starts with an end. That gives the impression that the connection between giving Maisa to the Levim and the rebellion of Koyach is in themselben oifen v'toichen v'dishaychas from matnes kihuna to machlekas Koyach is along the same lines and on the same theme as whatever the gifts to the Koyhanin will consolidate in clarifying or, or debunking Koyach's rebellion. So how is this part of the same has a part of the same issue. In other words, just as the Matnois Kohuna are there to announce and publicize the great position of the Kohanim, the instruction you have to give Meiser must be to publicize the greatness of the Levim, not just to say they don't lose their greatness. Another thing. Considering we know that everything in Torah is absolutely precise, we have no option but to conclude. The fact that where does the Torah tell us about the gifts, both to Kohanim and to Levim, is straight after the rebellion of Kohanim. It's not not in an open clarity. That's not just a generic message. As matnis kuhuna is a simon stam veraya as mechazik to mechazik zayin kunasar nochen iru. We need something to endorse the Kohanim's position after this this challenge against them. So we'll just generally use something called the gifts in order to endorse the position. 
It's deeper than that. Now, as the inhalt von Matnik's Kihun Olevia, hat a Shaykhus Machloikeskoyach, whatever the message and theme and content of these gifts, both to the Kohanim and the Levim, is all about, that actually helps us to negate Koyach's argument. So we've got to work out what about them. In order to understand that, let's go to something we already know from other places in Hasidus, what Koyach was all about, what drove Koyach's rebellion. Shankaret Amol Barucha, the Rebbe's discussed this previously in a different Sichan, Chedek Ches, that in Devos, a state in Noam Elimelech, that the Noam Elimelech points out an interesting thing about Koyach's rebellion. As the Inyan von Koyach, what is Koyach all about? So when it says, Vayikach Koyach, that Koyach took all these people to rebel against Moshe, Vos der Targum Taich Vispala Koyach. So the Targum Unklus explains that Vayikach actually means he caused a split, he caused a division. That says the Noam Elimelech is that directly relates to the split that happened on the second day of creation between the higher and lower waters. Which means for us the separation between a higher spiritual reality and a lower tactile reality. That split, that division which Korach identified as being part of the creative process is what drove him to say we've got to do things differently. Why? Kerach looks at it like this. A koyin is somebody who is completely separated from worldly matters. He doesn't own a job. He doesn't hold down a job. He doesn't get a salary. He's completely dedicated to spiritual things. Like the Pesach says, That they just separated Aaron and his family to be the holiest of the holy. That's all Kohanim. And then you have Aaron, who is the highest of all the Kohanim. He's not even allowed to leave the precinct of the Beis HaMikdash. Therefore, So that's what, proper, that's what uh, precipitated Korach's rebellion. So why are you elevating yourself over the Jewish people? In other words, what he's saying is, why are you leading us? You should be in your orbit, in your spiritual realm, and you shouldn't be guiding and engaging with us. You should be aloof from us. You should be separated from us. Why then are you encroaching, in a sense, on the, the normal activity of the ordinary citizens to want us also to kind of step up and away from the world, elevate ourselves out of the material space? Our job is to engage the material world. Our job is to transform the material world into channels of holiness. So why is the Koyen whose world is not engaged in this world somebody who aligns with and influences the people who, the ordinary people who are engaged in this world? And that's why, at face value, it seems like they're contradicting themselves. Why are the Kohanim elevated? We want to be a Kohen. Well, make up your mind. Do you want the Kohanim to be a level playing field, like some socialist uh, set up with everybody being equal? Or do you actually want to be a Kohen? Well, that's the point. Kerach wanted to be a Kohen, but a different kind of a Kohen. He wanted to be a Kohen in the extreme. A Kohen who is completely cut off from the ordinary activities of the ordinary uh, citizens and, and not to have any influence over them. And that's not something that's unique to Kerach. We actually see that there were people who, who did exactly that in, in a small degree through the course of our history. 
as Shammai. Look at Shammai. Shammai was a person who obviously had his focus correct, was completely dedicated to Hashem, but Mitzad Kaptonosoi, because he had such a specific way of doing things, the person who came and said, teach me the whole Torah as a standing on one foot, he pushed him out with a, a ruler, a building measure, because he wanted to say, everything is measured. You, you don't just walk in over here and say, teach me everything, and, and you should be able to relate to me and my issues. And practically, if there's a debate between Beishamai and Beisilal, if we would go in favor of Beishamai, typically that would not be considered a valid Mishnah. Why? Why? Because their way was so precise and so measured and not everybody's at that level. Koryach wants that kind of spirituality, but even more extreme. Just totally removed from the ordinary experience of ordinary people and fixated on this high-level spiritual focus that is divorced from physical engagement. Another example. Rashbi Vachaverov, Rabbi Shim Bayechoi, and his colleagues who were in a very unique category of spirituality. The Gemara tells us that many people try to emulate the methodology of Rabbi Shim Bayechoi, which is total divorce from the physical world, only obsessed by Torah learning, and Hashem will care for you. And it didn't work for most people. And even Rabbi Lozer, who was, of course, in that inner circle, after 13 years in the, the cave, firstly experiencing the deepest spiritual connection and then trying to regulate that and bring it back into the world, couldn't regulate. He needed Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi to kind of pick up the pieces wherever he caused some kind of negative, negativity because he couldn't tolerate people engaged in this world. Kerach is like that to an extreme. Can't tolerate this engagement in the world. If you want to be a Kohen, you've got to be completely excised from all materialism. With that in mind, understanding what Kerach wanted to achieve, this complete split and divorce between those majority of the people who engage with the physical world and try and use that as a conduit for godliness versus the unique category that Kerach wants to be, the extreme Kohen, who's totally divorced from the spiritual world. The response to Kerach is, gifts to the Kohen. Why? The first thing that the gifts of Kohanim teach us is that there has to be a relationship and connection between ordinary folk and the Kohanim. As in given their eigentum zu Kohanim. How is that connection made? Ordinary folk give their assets to the Kohanim. So the Kohanim are people who are removed from the world. They're removed from society. They live in a spiritual bubble. And we're the ones who provide for them. Which means we take ordinary physical things and we elevate and transform them so that they become gifts to those Kohanim who are living at a spiritual altitude beyond us. Not only is that considered a gift to the Koyen, but the Torah attests to the fact that when we give those gifts to the Koyanim, we're actually giving gifts to Hashem. So that's the response to Korach. Don't create this chasm, the higher and lower words, the split between the deeply spiritual high-level individuals and the ordinary citizens. To the contrary, let the ordinary citizens link with those people, link with the Kohanim, and use that as a method of taking their materialism and elevating it to become holy. But das is aber maspik. That's a wonderful explanation, but doesn't yet give us the full picture. Because we know very well that Kerach aimed his attack against generally the concept of the Kohanim and specifically Aaron as the Kohen Gadol. 
Sein Kabwone, wegede bechhune dabei, ist doch aber gewen, as soll sein, as scheiches Norbe even der Havdola. So, what it, what it, Kerach want, any connection between Koihanim and the citizens should be completely remote, distant, and aloof. Aber es soll nicht sein, kein Chibur von Tachtenen von Welt mit Elionim Kedusha Velikos. Kerach did not want to have this link, this bond between the material world and holiness. Output transcript: 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 Output my stuff should become completely holy. The carbon is a great example of that would be a carbon. You take an animal, you turn it into a carbon, the entire animal becomes holy. That's not what happens with the gifts to the Kohanim. What happens when you give gifts to the Kohanim is they use it for personal use. And some of them are in the category of chulin. They don't have any holiness attached to them. So how do we respond to Korach's great issue that there needs to be this massive separation between the, the intensely spiritual members of the community and the ordinary members of the community by telling him, well, we'll give a little bit of an attachment. Surely the message should be, no, the whole chap is you take the physical world and you elevate it all to holiness. doesn't seem to be happening in the gifts of the Kohanim. Before we can get there, we're going to cross-reference the story of Koyach to the story of what happened on Gimel Tamas, which always falls at this time. We'll have a similar question about Gimel Tamas. Obviously not the same, but a similar question. Parashas Koyach lent me mechamem shonim in devoch from Gimel Tamas. Typically we read Parashas Koyach in the week of Gimel Tamas, or the Vehintikim Yor in Dem Tog Gufa, or the year that this sicha was said, it was actually on Gimel Tamas itself that you read Parashas Koyach. The Tog was the Rebbe the Shveriz by Freitgevorn von Tfisa in Yor Tafesh Pezayin, the day that the Friedrich Rebbe was released from actual prison in 1927. At that time into house arrest and exile in Kastroma. Of course we know everything is uh, divine, divinely coordinated. Especially when the Shalot tells us that whatever special dates are on the calendar are always related to the parish that we read at or around about that time. So there's got to be a link between what Gimel Tammuz represents and what the message of Parashas Koyach is. So now that we've examined what was going on in Kairach's world, he wanted to split the higher spiritual realms from the physical, normal, mundane activities. That will give us insight into the story of Gimel Tamos. What is that? As we've mentioned, Kairach did not have a problem with the principle of having Kohanim in the society. And he had no problem with the fact that those Kohanim will be removed from normal daily mundane activities. What, what Kerach did have an issue with is why are these Kohanim the people who are feeding influence and inspiration to the nation? The nation should be doing their own thing and the Kohanim should be doing their own thing. So 
The Friedrich Rebbe had a similar experience from those people who opposed him and sought to give him all kinds of trouble and, you know, get it, pass him on to the authorities, etc. What bothered those people? Which caused them to arrest the Rebbe, bearing in mind that unfortunately they included Jewish people as well. It didn't bother them if the Friedrich Rebbe wanted to be a Koyan in his own little space, doing his own spiritual things to the deepest degree that he wanted to. That didn't bother them. The fact that he wanted to spread Torah right across the entire Soviet Union. To touch all of the Jews in that, in that country, that's what bothered them. You want to be a Koyan, be a Koyan. You should have authority over the, the, the average person. You should have influence over the average person. That bothered them in exactly the way as Korach was bothered by the Kohanim having an influence over the community. So therefore, once they freed the Friedrich Rebbe on the 3rd of Tammuz, that indicated as that Debesh wanted to make a public statement that the Friedrich Rebbe has a green light to continue what he's doing to spread Torah throughout the Soviet Union. In a very similar way to how did the Ebeshter cancel or negate Korach's rebellion or arguments? By making a public ratification of the Kohen's position by saying here are the gifts to the Kohanim. So there's a clear link between Korach's rebellion and the Yevsekse at the time. And the, the quelling of that rebellion and Gimel Tamas. Only problem is, it doesn't actually seem to be exactly the same. Why? Because Gimel Tamas is not given the full of Befraying from Rebbe. Unlike the end of the Korach story, when the Korach story ended, it ended. But Gimel Tamas wasn't the end of the story for the Friedrich Rebbe. It was only a release from the specific prison. But the, the story at that point was he was still going into exile in a faraway place in Kastrama. And in Kastrama, he wouldn't be able to do his ordinary work of spreading Torah. So it doesn't feel like the story has ended. It doesn't feel like the rebellion has been over, overcome. That was only going to happen later, 10 days later. And even after you'd basically Gimel Tamas, the Frida Kreba still had challenges. Until eventually he was able to leave Russia. So how do we compare the story where Korach's rebellion is completely eradicated with the Frida Kreba's so-called release at the time of Gimel Tamas, which doesn't feel like a release? So we're going to have to explain as the endlichkeit from the Gilu von Rebben mit den Inim von Kaiser Bechesem Lechomale Barkoin Kehunas Aaron. So we're going to have to say that the link between the Friedrich Rebbe's endorsement by Hashem, by virtue of the fact that he's redeemed from prison, is similar to Hashem's endorsement of the Kehanim through the Matnois Kehuna. Is verbunden mit dem Tell von der Gilu wie er ist noch gewen a Kolpon Bechitzonius in der Gbolus von Golus by Divas Hobnim Aristirt. Fascinatingly. We're going to identify that the link to the greatness and the tremendous value of Hashem endorsing his position is actually reflected in Gimel Tamos, maybe in a sense even more than on Yudbeis Tamos. 
Now, in order to understand that, because it sounds like a strange concept, so you're partially free and that's an amazing thing. Why? Well, think about the gifts to the Kohanim. You're giving a partial amount of your assets to the Kohen. How's that amazing? Let's ask a simple question about the gifts to the Kohanim or similarly the gifts to the Levim. The gifts, the 24 different gifts that a Jew gives to the Kohen all comprise fractions of a person's income, of a person's possessions. I'm giving a little bit, right? Even things like which you have to first give the portion to the coin before you could have anything for yourself. There's a limit. It's the beginning of what you give, not all of your produce. And even when the Rabbonin gave very specific amounts of what constitutes truma and what constitutes chala, they're small amounts. But you don't, you don't give away all your produce as truma. Actually, the halacha is that the amount you retain for yourself has to be substantial and noticeable. Likewise, it's only 10%. So this doesn't seem to make sense. If the whole response to Koyach is, no, there's no separation between the Koyan and their spiritual reality and me and my mundane reality because I can elevate my mundane reality to be holy, well, then why am I only elevating a piece of it? The fact that you want to say there's a minimum amount in order to qualify for Truma, that makes sense. You tell me I can't give less than a certain amount, great, fine, we get it, we accept it. But why is there a ceiling? Why is there a cap on how much you can give? Why do we have a rule that says you may not give everything away? In fact, certain other things that we give, not only are we not allowed to give all of our assets, we're not allowed to give more than the amount that the Torah has determined. To the extent the Rambam tells us in the halachas of all of these gifts, a person should never designate all of the, his possessions to Hashem. And if you do, that would be a transgression of what the Torah says. As we famously know, he tells us that if a person is going to be magnanimous in their gifts to the Kohanim, the Levim, etc., don't give more than 20% of your total. Why not? Isn't the whole objective to elevate the mundane so that we can prove Koyrach wrong, so that we can show that there's no breakdown between those people who live in the higher holy uh, reality are, t- are totally disconnected from... No, they're not disconnected. The people in the ordinary reality can also elevate their life. So why only a small piece? So the Biblical Anal, to understand that, let's understand the difference between a Kohen, that's who Koyrach is fighting, and a Levi, which is Koyrach's reality. Hasidus explains the fundamental difference between the world of Kohanim and the world of Levim. As a coin is in Yonah Ish HaChesed, a coin is fundamentally an individual of Chesed, which is all about giving, but it's all about flowing from the have to the have not, from the higher to the lower. 
On Inyanim Shalaviyim is Gevura, whereas Leviyim are all about Gevura, which is about focus and intention and working your way upwards, climbing to a higher space. On Koyach was given a Levi. So Koyach comes from the world of Leviyim, the world of Gevura. So the fact that he is challenging the Koyen means that he wants to overwhelm the world of Chesed with the world of Givura, which means that Levim should replace the Kohanim as, as the spiritual leaders. What does that actually mean? In So we can apply this in really practical terms in our lives. What is the difference between serving Hashem through the Chesed channel, serving Hashem through the Gevura channel? Chesed is in Yone Ashpom Shoiv in The whole process of Chesed is bringing from the higher realms into the lower realms, inspiring, influencing, sharing, giving, etc. That's what we call Shoiv. Bringing the energy into our reality. Whereas Gevur is all about lifting the individual or lifting the reality to become closer to Hashem. And that is what we call Rotsoi, yearning, trying to transcend the shackles of the world that you live in. So a Koyin is typically a Chesed person. Let's bring abundance and share and inspire. And a Levi is typically a Gevurah person. Let's lift ourselves so we can reach something that's higher than ourselves. What does Koyach want? That the focus of Judaism should be pushing people to transcend themselves and to connect to something which is higher than themselves. Not like we have it now with the Kohanim or Tisnasu. They're just like helping us along and inspiring us. No, work harder. And the reason for Kerach's argument is because fundamentally Kerach believes this. The world as it is in its default state, cannot absorb, accommodate, or appreciate holy, godly things. So the only way to help the world is let it break out of itself and move higher. Transcend yourself. It's your only hope. You are not cut out to absorb and experience godliness. Your only chance is break out of yourself. By the way, this does not contradict what we've mentioned both here and elsewhere. One second. What was Koyach's argument? You're an aloof personality. You're going to influence the Jewish person and that's going to influence the Jewish person to also want to become a little bit spiritually aloof. Because Koyach still had a problem. Koyach says, I know you're also as a Koyen influencing, inspiring, moving people to grow, but you're doing it in a chesed way. You're showering the person with insight and with influence and with inspiration. But the person's still the person. So Koyach saying, as long as we've got Kohanim in those spiritual leadership positions, they're not challenging the people to break out of themselves. All you're doing is you're shifting the person to be able to experience and absorb and relate to godliness. And that would be similar to the concept of you still do your thing, but you do it for the sake of heaven. So Koyach doesn't want that. Koyach wants a challenge to the people that's going to push the people to completely transcend themselves.
Ome Haitaima is the Opschlag and Tikkun of Machlekes Kerach, Nit Durkarbonis Vekachim. So the response to Kerach is not going to be to say, let's bring Karbonis and give some of those Karbonis to the Koyhanim, because that would imply, that the only way to connect is you've got to completely transcend yourself. You've got to completely give to Hashem. You've got to sacrifice it on an altar. The specific way to respond to Kerach's rebellion is to say you've got to give gifts of what you have to the Kohanim rather than consume everything you have in Hashem's world. And we'll understand exactly in a moment what that means and how actually there are three possibilities of how to connect ourselves and our world to Hashem and the three possibilities help us really to respond to and to negate Kerach's approach. In Akravas HaKorbonus, when it comes to bringing a carbon, or Bechlolos De'inim from Kochim, that's bringing a carbon specifically and generally anything that falls into the realm of the sanctified elements of either animals sacrificed or items donated to the Beis HaMikdash, where a person donates their, their, their assets to Hashem, if I take an animal and I make it a carbon to Hashem, I'm not making a clear statement that an animal can accommodate godliness or channel godliness. Because it's no longer an ordinary animal. It's, it's reclassified. It's something which is completely different. This animal is no longer tethered to a human. It doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to, holy, to the holy world. It's kochim. So I've transformed the physical thing and then made it into a korban. But when I give the gifts to the kohanim, so that's where a person has a certain belongings, certain possessions, of which the person gives a portion to the Kayan. And the Kayan est estes. So let's say it's truma, for example. I give it to the Kayan, the Kayan eats it. It's parts of the carbon shlamim. I give it to the Kayan, the Kayan eats it. On a svert by him, the moshcholi gidula, and we're told that the way the Kayan eats it is in a lavish way. He eats it almost like royalty, the haloch is. So I'm allowing the Kayan to experience some personal benefit and enjoyment out of this donation to something holy. It's not like putting it on the Mizbech and it's completely consumed in a godly fire. In fact, some of the gifts, some of the gifts to the Koyen happen outside of Israel as well and they are completely mundane. They have no holiness attached to them. I'm making a massive statement which flies in the face of everything Koyrach believes. Koyrach says the only way to fix, help, or elevate the world is you've got to break it out of its existing framework so that it becomes something different and holy and then it connects to Hashem. Well, the Matnus Kahuna don't do that. They remain ordinary things just dedicated to and used by a Koyen and that allows them connection to Hashem teaching me it is possible to connect the world and its possessions to godliness without fundamentally breaking the world and turning it into something else. But even that's not the ultimate. Even the gifts to the Kohen 
isn't yet the ultimate expression of how really mundane, lowly things, in their mundane, lowly state, are completely connected to Hashem. Why not? For two reasons. Aleph. The majority of the gifts given to the Kohanim, which is the Eser Migdash, the ten that have to be consumed in the base Hamikdash for Abra Yerushalayim, and four that have to be consumed in the walls of Yerushalayim. The way they work is Vern Freer Kadosh. First, they are designated as holy. And then you hand them to the Kohen. So let's say, for example, it's the parts of a carbon that you eat. The carbon is first holy, and then part of the carbon is given to the Kohen to eat. On the Kohanim is Mishulchan Govoya Kozochu, as the expression goes in the Gemara, that the Kohanim are considered to be eating off Hashem's table. Let's use other examples that are not limited to specifically to Yerushalayim, like the truma from grain, or the bikurim from fruit, or chala from dough. You have to separate them, designate them as something which is for Hashem. And then you give it to the Kohen. There's a few psukim that indicate this. The first fruits that are given to Hashem, you hand over to the Kohanim. Same principle, right? The first fruits that are in your land, you, get, you bring them to Hashem, give them to the Kohanim. That you give it to Hashem and then as a donation to the Kohanim. Even in this unique scenario of somebody who stole something from a convert, the convert dies, has no, has no heirs. Who gets the reparations? The Kohanim. Guess what? Even there, the halacha is that technically it first belongs to Hashem, it becomes holy, and then it's given to the Kohen. So if we're trying to prove to Koyach that you can take the physical world as it is a physical world and connect it to Hashem, the Matnos Kahuna don't really seem to tell us that message because the Matnos Kahuna, we take something physical, break it out of its physical reality, which is what Koyach wants, turn it into something holy so it transcends itself, which is what Koyach wants, and then we give it to the Koyan. And and even the other 10 types of offerings which we give to the Koyan anywhere and everywhere, these are things that even when they're in my possession, technically don't belong to me. They actually belong to the Kohen. We, for example, various parts of the animal that we're supposed to give and a, a, a field that, that a person designates as a donation to Hashem, etc. That's no longer mine. It belongs to the Kohen. By the way, the truth is that these Category is actually not even mentioned in our parasha, so they're not even really a response to Kerach's rebellion. They actually relate to Parasha Pinchas, which is coming later. So because the Matnois Kahuna don't yet disprove Kerach's outlook, because we are actually first elevating or transforming something and then handing it to the Koyan, which doesn't speak the message of take the physical world as it is and connect it to God. Therefore, we extend the message and the theme into another class of gifts that will illustrate the answer to Kerach's rebellion even better, and that is Miser. Why Miser? 
for two reasons. Was Aleph, ich noch ein Abscheiden und ein Abgeben der Meister zum Levi bleibt das Schul in Gemurin, even after you have separated and handed the Meister to the Levi, it does not have the status of being holy, it has the status of being mundane. Was ein Boi Kiddusha Klal und sie ist Mutter Lezorim. It has absolutely zero holiness, as the Rambam tells us, and a non-Levi would be entitled to eat it. Number two, base, es ist nicht kein Chedek Mesuyem, was gehört zum Levi noch vor der Frosche von dem Eden. Until I separate Meiser, there is no part of my produce that is pre-designated as Meiser. There's a part of my produce that is pre-designated as Truman. In other words, there's a certain portion of my produce that doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the Koyan. That is not the case for a Levi. So Meiser is something which is much more tethered in the physical mundane world. And it could still create a connection to Hashem and become something which is elevated without having to break out of its shell. That's a response to Koyach. That illustrates that something which is completely mundane, it is literally still part of this lowly world, can be absolutely connected to Hashem. How is it connected to Hashem? By us designating and handing it over to a Levi, who is somebody who lives, so to speak, with his portion being Hashem. That's an answer to Korach. Korach, you believe that the only way to elevate the world is it's got to totally lose all its mundane nature? That's not true. Look at Meiser. You can have mundane things that are completely connected to Hashem. Now, to better understand everything about Korach's argument and how we talk to this message of being able to elevate the world without completely smashing the world as Korach wanted, Let's look at something else that Kerach said, as the Medrash famously tells us, in his argument against Moshe Naren. One of the first salvos in the war against Kahuna that Kerach launched was Talas Shekula Techeles. If I have a garment that is completely dyed with the blue Techeles, Surely it does no longer require the strings of tzitzis because the purpose of the strings of tzitzis surely is just to have the one strand that is techeles. Here the whole talus is techeles. What was he on about? His Mavoritain Osin Chsidis, the Altareb explains, the Indian von talus levush akula techeles weiss lefrinas makif. A talus is something that you wrap around yourself, even the way we put it on, right? And in order for a talus to fulfill the role of a talus, it's got to be big enough that you could wrap it around yourself. Therefore, it represents the kind of energy or divine light which is called makif, something that completely encompasses us, a very intense, very powerful kind of divine energy that we can't absorb, so it can only encompass us. When you've got such a powerful, dynamic energy around, it doesn't make sense to have tzitzis, which represent very specific and limited streams of energy. So that's what Kerech is saying. If you've got so much overwhelming godliness, why do you need these little details? And that was really what Kerach was fighting against in the deepest level, against the Kahuna, because he's saying, what, what do we need this for? You've got Aaron, as the Pasuk in Tinnim tells us, the beard of Aaron is the representation of this flow of intense divine energy into strands that can kind of relate to the, to the community. And, and Kerach saying, I come from the world of Levim. We cut off all those strands. We shave ourselves from top to toe because if you've got such an intense connection to Makif energy, why on earth would you want to limit it and filter it down into these unique streams? 
And that translates into something that applies to us on a personal level. This is something in a much more subtle way that could relate to our service of Hashem. Let's say that the only reason a person becomes more refined or elevated or transformed is why? Because of exposure. Great divine energy, inspiration, light, overwhelmingly so. Not as a result of my personal efforts and you know, developing myself from the bottom up. So of course, if there's divine revelation, we will be completely consumed and one with Hashem, like for example at Har Sinai. As much as we'd be completely enveloped by the experience, that's exactly the problem. It would be something that envelops us. It wouldn't be personal and relatable to us. I don't play a role. I don't relate. I'm not part of this. I'm completely left out. I'm just swept up in the euphoria of the divine revelation. And that's actually not good enough because we're supposed to be part of the experience. We're supposed to completely resonate with the godly experience. Which actually, now when we're really looking at things subtly, tells us that even Meiser, although Meiser illustrates that ordinary, mundane things can have a meaningful, absolute relationship with Hashem, still not a full answer to Kerach's complaints or arguments. Put Matnois Kahuna and Maisa together, see the common thread between them, and that will teach us that there's another layer of what they achieve in terms of bringing godliness into the world or lifting the world to connect to godliness. Because Matnois Kahuna and Maisa don't only tell the story of the portion we, de- we donate and designate, they actually tell the story also of the portion that is left behind, which goes back to our earlier question, why are we only giving part of our things away? That's why, because the part we give away tells the story of the part we retain. When I'm looking at the actual portion that I'm giving the Kohen or the Levi, why do we give these things away? Because Hashem told us to. Ah, milamaila, makif. It's what the Abishad did for us, told us, instructed us. Therefore, that's not yet the ultimate expression of that doesn't yet tell the story of the physical world in its physical, finite reality becomes a, a vessel or conduit for godliness because it's not the normal world. This is the part of the world that Hashem has instructed about, that Hashem has given us rules that we need to follow. As we know, the Chazal tell us about Tzedakah, once Tzedakah tells you you have to give these portions, they actually don't belong to you. They've just been entrusted to you. So giving Meister is not something to pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, I'm amazing, I gave Meister. No, I returned the part that David had apportioned for me to give to the Levi. So that's not yet teaching us that you take the world as the world is and connect it to godliness. So what do the gifts to the Kohanim and the Levim highlight? I've given away my 10% or whatever it amounts to when you add up all the various gifts. And now I've got the remainder. And that remainder is for me to use for my things. 
I, I've got to feed my family, put a roof over my head, buy clothing, etc. Now is where the key attitude switch happens. I have all of the stuff because Hashem gave it to me. And therefore, it's not my independent wealth. This is the gift Hashem gave to me, the amount that I'm keeping for myself. And therefore, I'm going to use it in a way that is aligned with what the Ebishter wants, not just simply as I want. In this way, I can highlight that even real physical things in the realm and scope of the human asset in the lowest of the low, is actually truly com- completely connected to Hashem, which means practically that as I go through life, eating, drinking, experiencing whatever I spend my money on, it will be with an awareness of the Ebishter and to serve the Ebishter. And that is how you create the ultimate home for Hashem in the lower realm. Not by lifting things out of the lower realm as karbonos and then they become holy, or even as the matnos kahuna and then they become holy. Not even like Maisa, which is designated, and then it is, although mundane, still connected to godliness. This is mine, and it's still connected to godliness. It's in my world with my limitations, and still connected to Hashem. That would explain why the, there is a quota of how much you have to give for Truman Meiser. And I mentioned Torah, and you're not allowed to exceed that quota. Because they wants us to know that there's a connection between the assets we retain that is different to the connection with the assets that we give away. That's why the Torah is so concerned that we shouldn't impoverish ourselves so that we can have things we could still use to elevate and connect to Hashem. So we have three things over here. We have that's already holy, which is mundane but designated, and our own things which we keep and still connect to Hashem. I mean, for dogma to the three categories we've got the things that are completely holy, mundane things given to a levy, and things we retain for ourselves. So these are represented in a certain way in Madrigus in Achtas Hashem, in three different ways that we could speak about the oneness of Hashem. Category one is where you elevate the world to an extent of complete oneness with Hashem. Or alternatively, the second possibility is you bring the oneness of Hashem into the reality of the world. And then the ultimate state, which is you completely synthesize the higher reality where there's only Hashem with the lower reality that says Hashem is the one who creates everything. What does that mean? Let's look at category number one. Hashem is one. Why? Because we lift the world to a state of awareness of Hashem is one. Kind of Korach's attitude or the matnos kahuna, the korbanos. You take something, schlep it out of the world, and it becomes part of Hashem's oneness. That would represent the understanding that even after the world has been created and everything appears to have its own independence, actually, there is no such thing as independence. Actually, everything is completely bottled to Hashem. 
Das heißt, dass Nivroim seine Bemis kein Metzios nicht. That would highlight the fact that we and all of the things in our world are not real. They don't actually have substance. And the only reality of our world is its spiritual point of origin in the world of Atzilus. So lift up the world to acknowledge its true self and then it will know that everything is one with Hashem. When you look at the world through this lens, you pull back from the world. I don't want to have to be dragged down into the world. And this really plays out in the way that a tzaddik lives and the way that a tzaddik serves Hashem, which is like Koyach once, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi, Shammai, living in this absolute spiritual orbit that does not require engagement with the world. Then there's another way that we experience and express Hashem's oneness. And that's by bringing that awareness down into the consciousness of this world. That's where godliness expresses itself in every single piece of existence. There is a world. It actually exists. Hashem created it for real. But what we do is we, in, we illustrate that the world's existence is godliness pulsating beneath the surface that you, you just don't notice. But that's actually what it is. So when we look at the world through that lens, it stimulates us not to run from the world, on the contrary, to engage the world because it's got godliness in it. I can actually benefit and enjoy the world, except of course, it's a consciousness. It's a benefit and enjoyment of godliness. Of course, this is a, a step beyond the previous Yichud, which basically says negate the world in order to connect to Hashem. This is saying connect with Hashem within the world. Still, the person is very conscious of the fact that there is a world and there's godliness. They are different, but connected. What's the ultimate state? The ultimate state is the synthesis of the higher reality and the lower consciousness, which means I don't see a distinction. I don't see a world connected to God. I don't see a world with godliness pulsating within it. I see that the world is elikos, or as the Rebbe says elsewhere, the yesh hanivra is one with the yesh hamiti that the created existence is actually one and the same as the truest existence. That's the ultimate state. That's saying the stuff I don't give to the coin and the levy is absolutely holy. Let's link that back to Gimel Tammuz. And why it's specifically Gimel, not Yudbeis, that is connected to Koyach. Yudbeis, Gimel Tammuz, when we reach the end of the story, when the Friedrich Rebbe is released from prison on Yudbeis and Gimel Tammuz, where he's even released from the house arrest slash exile. At that moment, you don't see clearly that the Friedrich Rebbe's efforts in spreading Torah actually impacted and transformed those forces of opposition who wanted him arrested and imprisoned. Which is a fascinating thought, right? We're not seeing in that story that they are supportive of what the Friedrich Rebbe is doing. Why not? 
What you're seeing is the Frida Kerber escapes them. He's out of their jurisdiction. Even though they don't disappear and they still have anti-Jewish laws, etc. But what happens on Gimel Tammuz is even more fascinating. They chose to send the Frida Kerber to Kastrama. On foreign to Kahin and going to Kastrama, before the Frida Kerber even gets there, what does he do? The Friedrich Rebbe pre-arranges bringing children to start a school, fixing the mikveh that's there, and then the Friedrich Rebbe arrives and teaches chassidus. That's in their space, in their penal colony. He is doing all the things that they told him not to do. That is the moment in the story that illustrates the lowest most uh, corrupted part of the world, still locked into their physical loneliness, they still have the Rebbe in their penal colony, are allowing the, the Frieder Rebbe to do what he does. That's that is very similar to what completely neutralized Kerach's arguments. What was the response to Kerach's arguments? That ordinary mundane things. While they are still in their lowly state. They don't have to become miser to become holy. They don't have to be given as or a korban before they have holy value. As they are, they are holy. Same theme as Gimel Tamas. As the Friedrich Krebers in the Russian compound, in Kastrama, he's doing his avoider. With that in mind, there are three steps of the dismantling of Kairach's argument. First, explaining that there's such a thing as a carbon that the physical world can connect to Hashem, but it's first got to be holy. Then the next level, even if it's not holy, and it feels like they're two separate in, in Yonim, one is mundane and one is godliness, and you connect them like in Miser. And then the ultimate, that the physical, as it is physical, has the opportunity and should be used and will be used to serve Hashem. That's something alluded to in what the Friedrich Rebbe said in a very brief Torah that he shared when he was about to leave for Kastrama. What did he say? He said as follows. We, we asked the Ebrister should be with us as he was with our forebearers and he shouldn't abandon us. And then he explained Hashem, he spoke all Zayn Metuns, Unvet Zayn Metuns, Kashahoy Mabisenu. He said it means that David should and definitely will be with us as he was with our forefathers. Hagam is Zayn Tochnit Gleichzabisenu, even though we're not at the, of the caliber of our forefathers. Vechazayin Givain Bali Messias Nefesh, but for Mamash Tibtayo Mitzvah Fuchulay, because they were people who literally sacrificed their lives and their souls for Tayo. It seems a bit strange. A few questions about this. We have to ask a few questions. The actual expression of what we're asking Hashem. That Debisha should be with us. If you want to say Havaya should be with us, Havaya is completely transcendent. Past, present and future all rolled into one. It's completely supernatural. That's godliness which is beyond relating to the realities of the world. 
Then you have to qualify and say, the greatness that we're asking for is that Havaya, which doesn't belong in our realm, should be Imonu, should be with us. Says that Elikim means that Abish is all powerful and controls everything in the higher and, re- and lower realms. And we're not just saying Elikim, we're saying Elikim, our Elikim. Which emphasizes that Abish is our strength and our life. That obviously indicates that Abish is with us. So why add the word imonu? By saying elokeinu, you're already saying that Eibush is with us. Why say elokeinu imonu? Or could have just simply said, let Havaya be with us. That's question one. Question two. You're already saying let Eibush be with us. Now you have to say something which is kind of a little bit of a lower request. Don't abandon us. And the last question is, how does a Friedrich Kripper say, we, we, we don't have Messias Nefesh? <laughs> Why is he going to prison? He says, we're not like our forefathers who had this tremendous Messias Nefesh of Torah Mitzvahs. That's exactly what the Friedrich Kripper was living through at that time. Absolute Messias Nefesh of Torah Mitzvahs. He went to prison. Even after he went to prison, he still had Messias Nefesh. His film is all zogin as mitzadan nove von Rebben. Ote gehalten as a Messias Nefesh. Is ni gleich zu de Messias Nefesh von Aviseinu. Even if you want to stretch the point and say, well, the Friedrich Rebbe, in his great humility, felt that his Messias Nefesh was not of the caliber of his forebears. Ote aber doch nicht gedav doch zogin an loschen. He didn't have to say it in this way. Hagam mir zani doch nicht gleich zu Aviseinu, welche zani gewähnt mit beiden Messias Nefesh per Mamesh. Makes it sound like he's not having Messias Nefesh. They had Messias Nefesh. I don't. Why are you saying that? It's the beer in there and the explanation is the Friedrich Kripp is not only talking about himself over here and he's not only talking about a single experience of dedication to Hashem. Friedrich Kripp wanted to achieve that it wouldn't just be a personal emancipation from an experience of prison but it would be a broader gula for everybody. As the Friedrich writes in that letter, where he says that this was a time of celebration and, and, and redemption, even for the person who is only Jewish in name. That's why the Friedrich quoted this Pasuk and then said, even though we're not like our forefathers. He wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about those other Jewish people who are not like their forefathers. They don't have the, the, the resilience to sacrifice their lives for the Yiddishkeit. He's asking and davening that Debisha should be with those Yidden like Debisha was with their forefathers who perhaps des- deserved it more. Now that we understand, what's the Friedrich Rebbe's objective over here? To bring about Geula even for the Jew who is so detached that he's only Jewish in name. Without considering how observant or not they may be. With that in mind, we can say, 
by the Friedrich Rebbe making that point, we might not be as great as our forefathers. The Friedrich Rebbe was uh, alluding to the Medrash on that Pasuk. The Medrash says something fascinating. If a king hires servants and they do an excellent job of what he expects from him, from him and therefore he pays them, that's not a, uh, nobody's impressed by that. That's what everybody does. When is the Ebesh praiseworthy, or the king in this case praiseworthy? When he hires workers who are not great workers. They don't do what they're supposed to. And in his benevolence, he still rewards them. That's a tremendous accolade for that king. Look how compassionate he is. That's as the Medrash is the meaning of this pasuk that the Ebesha should be with us even though we don't deserve it because that's the Ebesha's greatness. So the Friedrich Rebbe wants to invoke that and bring about the capacity to even free and release those who are the so-called bad workers. And therefore we could say the Friedrich Rebbe was identifying three different levels of connection to Hashem. And they align with the three different levels of Karbonus slash Matnois Kahuna, Meiser, and um, the possessions we keep for ourselves, or the Yichud of Elikus by breaking the world out of its Metzios, the Yichud of Elikus by bringing awareness of Elikus into the world, or absolute synthesis of even the lowest of the low with godliness. Aleph, level number one. The first level is Havaya is our is our That is somebody like the tzaddik who knows consciously that everything about me, all of my power, all of my life, that's godliness. Bayes next level, the person not necessarily a tzaddik. The is with us. There's us, and there's an Ebishtu who's with us. I am an independent human being. But the Ebishter is with me. The fact that Elekeinu is with us, that implies that there is a connection. It's like giving the miser. It's a physical mundane thing that is designated for a holy purpose. But the ultimate level actually is not to abandon us. To reach the point that Elikus touches the Jew who is completely detached, only Jewish in name. You look at these people, you can't see the connection. You don't see that they're godly. You don't see that they're Jewish. To reach a point that even they experience Gula. After Rebbe Moisif given the Friedrich Rebbe created a catch-all for them by saying, will be with us even if we're not like our forefathers. To invoke that Medrash we looked at with the king who's so compassionate that he gives reward even to the people who don't do what they're supposed to. So what the Friedrich Rebbe achieves in that is that even the people who are completely so-called bad workers, who are not dedicated to what they're supposed to be doing, maybe they don't feel you have but they don't feel abandoned or detached or separated. 
Asoich wie sie seinen in dem Matze soll sich unsehen, als sie seine Chassolen wieder abgesundet und verlassen von Eberstein, that they should be conscious of the fact we're not abandoned, we're not separate, we're not cut off from Eberstein. Und in dem Dach gedrückt sich heißt, wie also ich als Elche. And that highlights that even those people, was seinem Tag dünnen mit seinem Ziel sein, nirgends war nirgends, that outwardly appear to be the lowest, sein und Scheich Zerikus are completely connected to the Eberstein. Doesn't matter what level a Jew happens to be at. The truth of that yid is Not only the Jew who has dedicated himself, like when we dedicate things to the Kohanim and the Revim, but even the stuff we keep for ourselves. The Jew who lives for himself. Again, to borrow language from the Friedrich Rebbe, every single Jew, regardless of his level of observance or lack thereof, his heart is sincerely dedicated to Hashem and the Torah. And that kind of insight and perspective on the so-called lowest Jew has an impact on the lowest parts of the world itself. In this case, the very powerful opposition to Elikos. Even those people who arrested the Friedrich Rebbe and wanted the worst things. Without them doing tshuva and elevating themselves and breaking out as Korach would have wanted from them. As they are, they endorsed the Rebbe's work. Until eventually they actually assisted in freeing him. So we know that the whole purpose of commemorating historical events in Torah is so that they should reoccur. That means that every one of us, the Ebesha should be with us, not with them, not another generation or a great group of people, but us. That means we're all empowered and we all have the Eronus in Askech from Gimotamus, we have the lesson. And the empowerment of Gimotamus, we should not be in any way worried or overwhelmed by what appear to be the obstacles to spreading and sharing Torah and Chesidus. And not only do we have uh, an insight, but we have a promise. As the Friedrich Rebbe said, the Ebesha should be and Vetzan will be with us. There's a promise in that. The will be with us. The will not abandon us. And therefore, to borrow again the language that the Friedrich Rebbe used in the Sichon Gimel Tamos, that, they, that every single Jewish person should experience light both in a spiritual and in a material way. Kein Tiye Lano.